believe in the resurrection and that he's coming back, he's coming back again. He's coming back again. He's coming back again.
Awesome. Amen. Welcome to Friends Church. You guys love to worship? Well, on Good Friday, we're going to be doing that. We're going to be having a potluck, worship, and communion April 3rd, the Friday before Easter, here at the church at 6 p.m. So please come out for that because it's just going to be an hour dedicated to worship. We're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to eat. Those are all good things. And then have communion. Um, and then the next day, April 4th, is our annual kids ice fishing event at Chena Lakes that Wham puts on. Um, it's going to be from 10 to 2 uh, in the afternoon. If your kids haven't ever been ice fishing before, they're going to have some huts set up there. And there's going to be plenty of opportunities for them to catch some fish. So see the Wham table in the foyer if you have questions about that. But that is going to be April 4th. So good Friday potluck. Come here for dinner. We'll warm you up with some good food. And then go out in the cold and get some fish. And that'll be good. And then on Easter, we're just going to be having the normal uh, uh, times of 9 and 11 here at the church. So Easter is always the time that churches get the most people, most visitors and stuff. So invite your friends um, and just be praying that God would just be speaking loudly that day because we're going to be having a lot of uh, visitors be coming for sure, which is always exciting to have. One of the things we did last month for, I know there was, a, there was actually a lot of us here, was the congregational meeting we did uh, last month. We had dinner and just a time to focus and hear from the pastors and stuff. We're, we're going to be doing that now every couple of months. And one of the things we're going to be adding to it is we really wanted to uh, dig down and just say, how can we make baby dedication and baptism more of a focus and give it the attention it deserves? So we're going to be adding that to our uh, time of fellowship in the, in the evening services. So from now on, um, whenever we have a, a congregational meeting for dinner and a time of worship, we're going to be doing uh, baptism and baby dedication. So the first one of those is going to be happening on April 19th. So put that on your calendar. If you have a baby that you love to have the church pray over and just we can just stand with you and, and believe in faith, for their life, and then if anybody wants to get baptized, um, we're going to be doing that uh, from now on at the night services, and it's just going to be a time of fellowship, potluck, worship, and coming together. So that is April 19th, and you can get more information of that at the meet and greet table out in the coffee shop. One other thing is, in your outlines, we've said this for the last few weeks, but we're just going to keep pushing it is Team 120 is our uh, group uh, that we're asking you to become a part of that's going to be just a group of people that dedicate a year to be praying for some specific prayers we've outlined as pastors uh, that we're praying for on a daily basis. And that is in your outline. You can send your name on it, and you'll get some weekly emails, just reminders of what we're praying for. And we made these really cool prayer cards we're going to have by next week for everybody that's in Team 120. Um, that you can put in your Bible the seven prayers we have on that list and just uh, get it out and, and just remind yourself and just have something that you can remember what our prayers for a church are going to be. So that is in your bulletin. That's what the Team 120 thing is. Um, and then Sherry wanted me to mention that every Thursday morning from 6.30 to 9, the church is open for anybody that wants to come pray at the church uh, every Thursday morning from 6.30 to nine in the morning. So if you're an early person, you'll have to wake up and pray. You can join us here at the church any Thursday morning. And if you are a first-time guest, we'd love to uh, meet you in the meet and greet area out in the coffee shop. So just meet us back there. 
We have a gift for you. I just want to introduce ourselves. Uh, there'll be some team leaders and some ministry leaders out there to introduce themselves to you. So on this note, we're going to stand and greet one another. Kids are dismissed to Kids Church, and we will be back in just a minute. Never ending like the sea, like the sunrise, bringing blue skies. Your light is all around me, though I'm prone to leave your side. You chase me like the tide. You are constant in my wandering. You are
Thank you, worship team. You guys are amazing. You too, Josh. Um, are you ready to take the offering? Um, I would hope we could all get to the point where we realize that um, this is not just, uh, you know, giving finances to the church to just keep the building warm and heated and all those things that go along with it. But it's really an investment in the kingdom of God and, and it's, uh, it's an entrance into the economy of the kingdom. You're participating in, a, in an element of the kingdom of God when you give your offering. And there are spiritual ramifications for where the money is, uh, where it ultimately goes, but also there's a law of reciprocity that connects you and your finances with God's kingdom. And uh, I think we're all going to be thankful for that at some point, if not already, but... Um, if our nation goes through some struggles financially, we'll all be glad that we are connected with God's kingdom and he will provide. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, this opportunity to connect ourselves and to uh, invest in your kingdom, Lord, and in your purposes for the earth and for the city. And, Lord, we ask you to um, bless this offering and uh, multiply it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, this last January, this current uh, 2015, I believe the Lord began to initiate and to launch us into a journey with him. And he started out by speaking to us about vision. And he, he gave us a vision declaration, which was basically to know God, to know each other in God, and to make him known. And um, ever since then, he's been speaking to us about prayer. So in the second half of January, we began to talk about prayer. And the thing about prayer is that God draws us into prayer. He causes us to be hungry for him. And as a result, we can give ourselves to prayer. But what I've found, and I'm sure that many of you have found as well, that God makes us hungry for him, and then we begin to press into him. And as we do, he begins to satisfy that hunger. But in the process of even satisfying that hunger, it creates even a greater hunger for him. And so it's a, it's a cycle that we go through as we begin to press into knowing him and being nourished by him and being encountered by him and being enveloped in his presence in the secret place with him. 
And the thing of it is, is that as we continue to press into this intimacy and into this relationship with him in prayer, we can then begin to build up his presence in our lives. It's kind of like when the, um, the priests used to go into the tabernacle of Moses, there was this one place called the holy place, and in there was incense was continually burning. And so as the priest would enter into that place, his, his clothes would then begin to absorb that incense, and the fragrance of the incense would remain on him as he came out of the holy place. And that's exactly what happens to us as we enter into this relationship with God in the secret place of prayer. And it's sometimes like, it's like it's in the beginning we may think, you know, well, prayer is where I go with my list and I ask God to, most of the time, I mean, when we begin our life of prayer, it's, it's sort of a list uh, which we are asking God to change our circumstances. But prayer is meant to be far more than that. It goes far deeper than that because it ends up being a place of communion with the Father and with His Son by the Spirit. And we begin to hear from God. And we begin to go into His Word and God begins to open His Word up to us. And that's how we begin to hear His voice. We open His Word up and we read in there and God begins to open and unveil it and reveal it to us. And he gives us revelations as we enter into the secret place with his word. And it can be a, it, and it can be sometimes like there's, it's like there's a veil. It's kind of like, maybe it's like this queen where you can kind of see through. But if you push, it's not impenetrable. You can push through it and go to a new depth in the spirit, in God, in prayer. And that's what God wants for you. He longs for you. He loves you. He wants to share his heart with you. And you share your heart with him in the secret place. And that's what God is calling Friends Church to. That we would be a house of prayer. A place where God could commune with his people and speak to you. And give you direction. And give you instruction. And give you wisdom. Not only for just this life, but also wisdom in the knowledge of God Himself. He wants to reveal Himself to you. And so it is important for you to take that time and set it apart and turn off the television, turn off your cell phone, turn off the internet, and come before Him and quiet yourselves so that you can begin to listen and begin to develop that hearing heart. And I can tell you this, that after many years of prayer, prayer now to me is a fantastic, enjoyable experience with God. I sit down in my chair and immediately I sense His presence. I mean, beyond what I walk in most of the time, but I mean... It's fantastic. And it's available to each one of you. What I am saying is absolutely the will of God for you. 
There's a presence of his spirit that begins to build up on, upon you as you spend time in his word and as you spend time in prayer. And I know that there are so many things that are offered to us that would take us away from that. Things that we enjoy, even as Eric was speaking last week. Good things. But God has something better for each one of us. And God wants to commune with you. He wants to begin to speak to you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. It's about hearing and experiencing him. Um, I'm going to divert pretty strongly from my notes. I woke up at 3 o'clock and, and uh, the Lord began to speak to me and, and kind of set me on a different direction with a different emphasis, but I will use part of the notes. And I'd like to look at Matthew 21 there in your notes where it says, And when he had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, you shall say, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. So this took place so that what was spoken by the prophet, the prophet Zacharias, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on the colt, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, just to give you an example of what I just said a few minutes ago about you're in the secret place with God and you're reading his word and sometimes things that seem to be inconsequential or not, you know, really that important become highlighted to you. And when I was reading this passage, God spoke to me something. And in, in, in the course of him speaking to me, I became interested in donkeys in the scriptures. And as a result, I did some research and I found that donkeys are associated with intercession. Now, my subject today is supposed to be the Passover. And I hope you all understand the story of the Passover, which was when Moses went into Egypt and stood before Pharaoh and there were many signs performed. And the last one was that that the firstborn of all of everyone in Egypt was going to die, except for those who placed the blood over, who uh, consumed the lamb and placed the blood over their doorposts. And so the Passover was a gigantic act of intercession by the blood of the Lamb, which is exactly the picture of what God has done for them, he has done for us. He took a nation out of Egypt, and he has taken us out of the world. Egypt is a type of the world, and Pharaoh is a type of the devil, and we have come out of his kingdom by the blood of the Lamb. And so... In the, in the way that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, it is a picture of intercession because donkeys, of which he was riding, are associated with intercession. And so you say, well, Floyd, how do you know that? Well, the fact is, is that 
when Abraham went up to sacrifice his son Isaac up on the mountain, which is a picture of God the Father sacrificing and offering up his son as a sacrifice, a donkey went with them up to the mountain. When Moses went into Egypt to deliver Israel out of Egypt, he rode on a donkey. When Joseph sent for Jacob and the, the family of Jacob to preserve them from the five years that were left on the, on the time frame of the famine, he sent donkeys supplied with the good things, the good products of Egypt, and bread and grain as well. Balaam's donkey interceded for him and spared his life when the angel of the Lord was about to destroy him. Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Abigail, when her husband had uh, uh, offended David and David was on his way to kill him, Abigail loaded up a a number of donkeys with uh, uh, food and provisions for David's men and interceded for her husband and spared his life. The Shulamite woman, when her son had died and she went to Elisha, to, which it resulted in her son being raised from the dead, went on a donkey. And so here we are uh, with Jesus entering Jerusalem and, and riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it says the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And I believe that God wants to visit Fairbanks. And he wants to stir the city. And the Lord spoke to me this word. He said, and this is why I looked this all up and went into it, because the Lord spoke to me and he said, I am going to visit your city and I am coming on the backs of humble intercessors. When I woke up this morning at 3 o'clock, one of the things that the Lord directed my attention to was the letter to the Laodicean church. And this is not, I'm not, I'm not about to give you a rebuke or a correction or anything like that. I'm just going to point out some facts about this particular situation. But the Lord spoke to the, to the um, church in Laodicea and he said, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So what we see here is this church in Laodicea having appraised their own spiritual condition. And if we were looking at it on a scale of 1 to 10, 
they would probably rate themselves like a 9.5. And they felt that they had arrived and that they were pretty much enjoying the fullness of the blessing of God. And the abundance of God was with them. And so they said, we're rich. And and rich is a relative term. I mean, rich compared to what? But in their minds, they were rich. And they said, well, we have need of nothing. We're there. And one of the strangest, most odd things about us as human beings, and in this respect especially, we think that we can appraise our own spiritual condition. We all think that. And we think that we have a pretty good idea about, you know, where, you know, where, where we started and where the end is, where the maximum a point of our spiritual life could be. But the fact is, is that often in the scriptures, God points out your appraisal is way off. And that's exactly what was going on here. Their evaluation was grossly inaccurate. And so Jesus comes to them. And he comes to them because he wants them to experience more of him. And so he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I will come in him and dine with him and he with me. He's talking about a deeper level of fellowship and communion in the spirit in the secret place. And I believe that is exactly what God is speaking to us at here at Friends Church. And each and every one of you is, is now being invited into this, this, this door is being knocked on and we are being invited that, that he could come in and fellowship with us and dine with us and, and us with him. There are, in your notes there, there are three characteristics of intercessors that I would like to point out and you can fill in your blank. The first one is an intercessor, and we're all called to be intercessors, okay? Some people tend to give their lives more so to that calling because there is that which I think identifies a person as a kind of a unique intercessor in that they are deeply committed to that activity in God. And at any rate, every intercessor and each one of us in particular in this place today should have these characteristics. And the first one is an awareness of the eternal. One thing that's happened to me, once I hit 55, I began to realize, you know what? We're only on this planet for a few minutes. And I want to live my life on this earth in preparation for the next one. 
I know that I and I know that each one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ where it says our lives will be evaluated. And if we have, if our, if what we have done produces wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones, it all goes through the fire. And the wood, hay, and, and stubble is burned up, but the gold, silver, and precious stones passes through the fire, and that which passes through the fire, we will be rewarded for. And an eternal perspective keeps that in mind so that our lives count and we begin to pray, Oh God, make my life significant in Your sight. Cause me, Lord, to have Your values in mind. Cause me, oh God, to, to do that which is Your will upon the earth and let Your will be done in me. Let me have your heart. Let me count the things that are important to you, important to me, and let me act accordingly by your Spirit and fulfill the purpose and destiny for which you have called me. And do it with the perspective that one day I will be evaluated by Him. And I will stand before Him. And also the fact that there's a heaven after this life. There's a hell after this life. And there are thousands of people all around us who don't have that consciousness in their mind. And we pray that God will cause us to be sensitive to His Spirit when we're in the grocery store, when we're at the bank, you know, wherever we go to begin to be available and and walk through that point of discomfort and begin to open up and talk to people about the things of God. That's why we're here. That is a primary purpose for our lives. It's not something that's over here that someone else is to do. That, that is who we are and what we are. We are ambassadors for Christ, having received the ministry of reconciliation. And, and perhaps we can talk about that more next week. But at any rate, the second um, characteristic of an intercessor is there is a continual interaction with the unseen and hidden realities of God's kingdom. Intercessors look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. Because the things which are seen are temporal, and the unseen things are eternal. So, they're looking, and as they're praying, they know that they're involved in a supernatural work of God. And that's why prayer is so vital, because it connects earth with heaven. And as you enter the secret place, there is awareness that you're connecting to, and there's a link between earth and heaven. And there are vast storehouses in heaven. 
And there is a vast supply of every need for not only their lives, but more importantly, interceding for others and for the church. Much of the intercession in the New Testament is for the church so that the church could rise up and be strong and be ambassadors for Christ with a message to our city, to our state, and beyond. Jesus said that if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom has come unto you. Intercessors are aware of the authority that they have, the dominion of the kingdom, and all of its resources uh, come through prayer. And ultimately, what we want to see is a climate change in Fairbanks. It says in Ephesians 2 that there is a prince And it says he is the prince of the power of the air. It's the prince of the atmosphere. And in in intercession, the intercessor understands the authority which he or she has in the name of Jesus. And as we begin to unite and we begin to like billows, we pray and we keep coming at it and we keep coming forth and we keep addressing the things, the, the, the things of the kingdom and we begin to overtake the prince of the power of the air and there's a climate change over the, the congregation and then outward over the city and suddenly people begin to be thinking about Jesus and about the things of God and they think, well, I think I need to go to church today. And I, and I just experienced, I just met a couple this last week who had that very thing happen. They just woke up one morning and thought, you know what, we need to do something about our spiritual life. We need to be in church. And they've been in church last week and this week. And so they're beginning to, they're beginning to hunger for God. And that's what happens. We build up the presence of God. And then people are drawn to that presence. People are drawn and by the Holy Spirit. It's, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. But it happens through intercession. It happens through the prayer of God's people. Because we are co-laborers with God. And the third characteristic is that an intercessor has a priority, a premium of life in the secret place. They live for the affirmation of God. They live not to be known, not to be recognized, not to be noticed by people, but to be known and recognized by heaven. Remember that one situation where the demon cried out, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? When we build up the presence of God, we're known. We're known in the kingdom of darkness. We're known in heaven. 
and those that live in the secret place, they're known. They're satisfied with God and they have power with God. They have fellowship and they build up the presence of God in their lives and so that they have an impact wherever they go. And they cause others to have impact. And I know that that we are living by the intercession of God in this place. And the more that we begin to enter in, the more we push through that visqueen, the more we, we begin to say, God, make me a person of prayer. Put your passion in me. Put your zeal in me for you. God, help me be, help, help me that I could enjoy my time of prayer. God, I need your presence. Draw me. And as that happens, the climate begins to change. Because people have given themselves to the secret place. They found the love of God. They found the presence of God in the secret place. And there's nothing like it. And they begin to be fruitful. And they begin to have impact. And that incense begins to come upon them. And Paul talked about it. He says, the aroma of God goes with us wherever we go. The fragrance is on us because we've been in the secret place with Jesus. And he said, who is sufficient for these things? But it says here that the people there in Laodicea were neither hot nor cold. And I think what I, I think I could put it this way. What, what do you have when you have lukewarm? You have hot and cold mixed together. And sometimes until we break through in these areas into what I'm talking about, we will come and we'll have, uh, we have a little bit of God, we have a little bit of church, and then we have a little bit of everything else. And there are so many things that are being offered to us. And so many things that draws. And I want to ask you today, what... What makes your heart light up? What? I was talking to my son this week, and my son Aaron, and, uh, you know, we were talking about, you know, we're all hungry for God. We just don't know it. Even all these people in Fairbanks are desperately hungry for God, but they don't have God. And when I, sometimes when I watch it, uh, if I were to watch a movie and there's a barroom scene and, and the guy's uh, sitting there at the bar and he orders a drink and the, and she puts the glass down and pours him the drink. I look at that person, I think, wow, thirsty for God, but I don't have God right now, so I'm going to drink this. And it might be alcohol, it might be drugs, it might be many other things. I think we, we give ourselves to, I mean, we give ourselves to things like YouTube and Facebook and all this social media, and, and now we have March Madness and and just go home and veg out in front of the TV and and play video games by the hour. And really, what we're doing is we're hungry for God, but we don't know how to connect with God. We don't know how how to nourish ourselves in God. But God is calling you. He's saying, 
Come, be with me. I will dine with you and you with me. I'm knocking at the door. Open the door to me. Take that time to break through that place of boredom. And, oh, what is this all about? And just begin to present yourself before God and cry out. Like in Philippians 2.13, He will cause you. He will cause you to to enter into that secret place and to enjoy. And He'll give you a zeal and a desire to do it. But you need to call out to Him and say, God, I have no interest in this. Prayer is boring to me. It's dry. I just go in there and I say my little things and I go. But it doesn't have to be that way. And that's not what God's calling you to But it takes a little effort. But I would just say, look, if you're not hungry enough for that, then then say, God, I am in a desperate place. If you're not hungry for God, you need you need his appraisal. You need his evaluation. And then you need his grace and the unction of his spirit and the Holy Spirit's presence upon you that makes you hunger and enables you to go into the secret place and spend that time with Him. And as you do, you will begin to see great, vast potential. The possibilities of God will begin to open up to your mind and show you that you have just scratched the surface of this thing. I'm going to read to you. This will take about 10 minutes and then we'll close. But I'm going to read this to you because I want to open up your minds to the possibilities of what God could do in Fairbanks. And I believe God wants to do in Fairbanks. Now, God never does anything the same way twice, so it's not going to be this, but it's going to be awesome. Because God has said, I'm going to visit your city. God is going to visit Fairbanks, Alaska with an outpouring and a a magnificent display of His glory. I believe that. Beyond anything that we have encountered or experienced in our personal lives. And a lot of times that's the problem. We, We have an experience and we think this is pretty much it. And that's the hardest part about people. I'm thinking of a young man right now who was, who was in Friends Church for a while and then he just, you know, lost interest and walked away from God and now he's, uh, he's, you know, doing cocaine and other stuff. And the hardest thing about it is that he thinks, though, coming back to God is just going to come back to where he was. But he didn't understand that he had just scratched the surface of this. That there was far more that he could experience in God. So I'm going to read this to you to help help you imagine something amazing, okay? And this is about the Welsh Revival. It says it, it, it was late in 1904 that the revival, which many consider to be the greatest in history, broke out in Wales. There have been a few spiritual awakenings in in history to span the globe and touch millions, but it can be argued that none had as much concentrated impact as the Welsh Revival in its time. 
It seems that the Lord looked down upon Wales and said, I'm going to show the church and the world what I can do with a handful of faithful saints who will yield themselves to me. The results of that demonstration still send shockwaves of conviction and hope to all who hear the story. At the time, the overall spiritual condition of Wales was as dark as it had ever been. Bars flourished, football, soccer, cockfighting, prize fighting, gambling, and prostitution seemed to have completely captured the soul of the working class. Murder, rape, and other violent crimes were common and increasing in a dramatic rate. It seemed that the authorities were close to losing what control they had. The dark tunnels of the Welsh coal mine seemed a fitting symbol of what was happening to the country. However, from among those miners, God was preparing a voice. He emerged from the mines to preach the gospel just as Wales began to emerge from the dark pits of her sin. Soon, this young miner, Evan Roberts, and tiny little Wales would cause the whole world to pause and take notice of the wonderful works of God. For a period of time, Evan had been seeking and finding more intimate relationship with the Lord. Faithfully, he attended a Monday evening meeting at Moriah, Tuesday at Pisgah, Wednesday at Moriah, Thursday and Friday at other prayer meetings and Bible classes. For 13 years, he did this, faithfully praying for a mighty visitation of the Holy Spirit. He stayed on course and soon began deeply affecting some other young ministers of his own denomination. The passion for the presence of God in these men bound them into a holy fellowship. Their intensified desperation to have all that God had for them soon turned into a consciousness of the presence of God in their midst. These pastors began to note that after a period of agonizing intercession, there would be unusual power for the preaching of the word the following day. Glorious experiences beget more faith, and soon this little group of ministers was convinced that something glorious was going to happen in their midst. For three months before the outburst of the revival in, in Langor, Evan Roberts had slept little as he continually interceded for his beloved Wales and sought a deeper communion with the Lord. This, too, seemed to be the key of the revival. Regardless of how great the revival fires burned, they kept praying for more. The kindling was now ready, but the spark to light the fire would come from an unlikely source. In a Sunday morning prayer meeting for young people, a pastor asked for testimonies of spiritual experiences. Several tried to speak on other subjects, but the pastor stopped them. At last, a young girl named Flory Evans, who had been gloriously converted just a few days before, stood and with trembling voice said, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. With these words, the sparks that God had planted in so many hearts burst into open flame. Many consider this to be the true beginning of the great Welsh revival. The fire spread quickly. Soon multiplied thousands were aflame with the Holy Spirit's testimony of the glorious Son of God. Professing Christians broke down before God and began to remove the hindrances in their lives. They committed themselves to full surrender to Christ and to the reception of the Spirit in His fullness. The floodgates of heaven opened and the Spirit was poured out in torrents. The numbers grew until the churches overflowed nightly. 
A Rexham newspaper reported that the whole district was in the grip of an extraordinary spiritual force, which shows no sign of relaxing its hold. The meetings started in the morning and continued through the evenings into the night. Then they began to spill over into the streets, into the homes, the trains, the factories, and the mines. Soon great processions of awakened Christians and new converts were marching through the town, singing hymns and rejoicing in the Savior. By this time, there were approximately 40,000 believers who had radically, been radically touched by God and were desperate for God to pour out His Spirit in Wales. Most of these groups, most that were in these groups, that were, were, they were yet unknown to each other and were scattered throughout the land. When the Spirit began to link them together in order to release one of the greatest demonstrations of the mighty power of God in answer to their prayers, not only would the entire principality of Wales soon be aflame with the fire of God, but much of the world would soon be ablaze. Evan prophesied with great authority that a mighty revival was coming to all of Wales, and they were only opening the gates for it. He traveled to more than two dozen cities and towns throughout Wales. In every place, the dry wood had been prepared, and he simply cast the spark that would set it ablaze. The awe of the Lord was upon everyone, and his presence was felt everywhere. Spontaneous prayer meetings began in the mines, factories, schools, and shops. Even the amusement parks were filled with a holy awe as brigades of evangelists swept through them. Men who entered taverns to order drinks left them untouched. As conviction and the fear of God came upon them, wave after wave of the Holy Spirit was passing over the land. The degree to which this move was affecting society could be seen in the way it impacted the favorite Welsh, Welsh sport, football. At the time the Welsh revival broke out, the whole nation was nearly in a frenzy over the sport. Working class men seemed to think and talk about this one obsession. Gambling on the games was rampant. Then the, foot, then the star football players were converted and joined the open-air street meetings to testify the glorious things that the Lord had done for them. Soon the players were so captivated with the Lord that they lost interest in the games. The teams disbanded and the stadium sat empty unless used for the revival. This miracle could only be compared to, you know, like the NFL games. That would, you know, suddenly there's no game. The players are gone and the stadiums are entering and everybody's in the city talking about Jesus. It says, even the most powerful politicians, statesmen, intellectuals, and rival religious leaders had difficulty denying the impact of the revival on the entire principality of Wales. Debts were paid, stolen goods returned, and the taverns were forsaken and closed. A serious problem developed in the mines because the horses had been trained to respond to commands or curses from the drivers, and since the drivers did not curse anymore, the horses did not understand their commands. <laughs> Political meetings were postponed because the members of parliament were in the revival meetings. Theatrical uh, companies quit going to Wales because no one would attend their shows. Magistrates were presented with white gloves in many towns to signify that there were no arrests. The prisons were emptied. Revival scenes swept through the universities day after day for months. Over, over 70,000 names were, of new converts were reported in the papers in just two months. Evan Roberts, oh, excuse me, um, James E. Stewart wrote, 
it was praying that rent the heavens, praying that, re- that received direct answers then and there. The spirit of intercession was so mightily poured out that the whole congregation would take part simultaneously for hours. Strangers were startled to hear the young and un- unlettered pray with such unction and intelligence as they were swept up to the throne of grace by the Spirit of God. Worship and adoration was unbounded. Praise began to mingle with the petitions as answered prayer was demonstrated before their very eyes. Often when unsaved loved ones were the focus of the intercession, they would be compelled to come to the very meeting and be saved. This fed the fires further for both worship and and intercession. When the believers understood that God really did answer their prayers, prayer quickly rose to the highest priority in their lives. As they prayed with more faith, they began to see quick answers to them. When they became increasingly specific in their prayers, the answers became even more spectacular. Prayer meetings, which had been drudgery, became the main attractions, even for entire towns. Meetings swelled until overflowing, both with people and the anointing. Meetings that were expected to be regular services quickly became prayer meetings as it became the first nature of everyone to pray. Groups walking to work would start praying and soon they would be joined by a swelling crowd who was drawn by the anointing. On several occasions, the population of a town would march to a neighboring town to pray for it and the revival would inevitably be ignited there. The revival was a witness that few things can energize believers as much as when they discover the power of prayer. Many considered it to be the best example in church history of how the great commission to make disciples of nations, not just individuals, was to be fulfilled. Without question, the Welsh revival was birthed and carried by by a devotion to prayer and intercession. This was to be one of the great contributions, and it soon spread throughout the whole Christian world. Father, we want to say today that, Lord, draw us into prayer. God, bring a revival to Fairbanks, Alaska. God, let us participate with you and enter in through your gates, O God, and be anointed by your presence, God, and be nourished in in the place of prayer. And God, impart your heart to us that we can proclaim your word and and that multitudes, thousands of people will come to the Lord in Fairbanks. Lord, we ask you by your grace, make this a house of prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.